The Sustainable Care team, led by Professor Sue Yendel at the University of Sheffield, is exploring how care arrangements currently in crisis in parts of the UK can be made sustainable and deliver wellbeing outcomes. We aim to support policy and practice actors and scholars to conceptualise sustainability in care as an issue of rights, values, ethics and justice, as well as of resource distribution. Our Care Matters series includes publications, podcasts and blogs from our team and others working towards sustainable care. Hello and welcome to another episode of Care Matters, the podcast from the Centre for International Research on Care, Labour and Equalities, or CIRCLE, at the University of Sheffield. My name is Tom Hunt and I'm a researcher in the new ESRC Centre for Care that will begin its work this year. I'm also a research fellow and deputy director of the Sheffield Political Economy Research Institute. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the issue of mandatory vaccination for care home workers in England. Since November last year, it's been mandatory for all care home workers in England to have had two doses of a COVID-19 vaccine as a condition of their deployment in a care home. The introduction of this policy has led to debate and concerns about the ethics of mandatory vaccination. It's also raised questions about the employment model in the care sector, about the government's willingness to meaningfully engage with care workers, and about the respect and value given to care work and to the people providing it. Prior to the policy coming into effect, many in the sector warned that introducing mandatory vaccination would lead to thousands of care workers leaving their jobs and exacerbate chronic staff shortages in the care sector. The government's own analysis also forecast that there would be high staff departures as a result of introducing the policy. That policy has now been in effect for nearly three months, and so we wanted to look at what the impact of it has been and what some of its wider implications might be. And I'm delighted that to do this, we're joined today by Rachel Harrison from the GMB Trade Union, a union with over 500,000 members who work in all types of jobs across public services and in the private sector, including many in social care. Rachel is the GMB's Public Services National Officer. Rachel, thank you very much for joining us today. To kick us off, could you tell me about what your role entails and, and how you represent GMB members in social care? Hi, and yes, thank you for inviting me along today. Really uh, appreciate the opportunity. So yeah, I work for GMB uh, Union and we represent care workers in a variety of roles. Um, right across England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. And they could be care workers that do work for private residential care homes. They work in domiciliary care roles, delivering care in people's homes. They work within the NHS. So you name it, we represent those workers. And again, we're not just talking care assistance, we're talking domestic uh, kitchen support, admin support, um, every role you can think of. And we support them in a variety of ways. So, so nationally, my role as national officer is to 
obviously make representations on behalf of our members to, to government and to the Department of Health. And we're constantly campaigning for improvements right across the care sector to make work better for them. We're involved in collective bargaining with with national care providers and with local government um, employers and obviously in the NHS where we've got care as well. And we campaign nationally and and work with the Labour Party where we need to on, on setting out what the agenda should be. And we also represent locally. So again, we we provide representations on a local level to councils and uh, councillors and MPs and commissioners of care, collective bargaining again, um, and individual representations is a big one within within care homes of our members facing disciplinaries and grievances and and the like, and issue-specific organising. So every care home will have a different issue that that members unite around and we campaign to make small improvements that, that make big differences in in their lives. So we're a member-led organisation ultimately, and our care workers tell us what their priorities are, and we go out and represent those priorities. Thanks, Rachel. That's a really good overview of what you do and the ways in which GMB supports members in, in social care. Now, the mandatory vaccination policy for care home workers, so not all people who work in social care, but just care home workers, came into effect in November. GMB was opposed to the introduction of the policy. Could you tell us why the union took that stance? Yeah, I think, first of all, it's it's important to say that GMB supports the, the vaccine programme and we, we have actively and proactively encouraged our members to take the vaccine. And, you know, we, we've held things like online events and webinars to, to try and educate people about the vaccine and the safety of the vaccine. So we do support the vaccine programme. But we are against and opposed to any form of, of, of mandatory vaccinations or medical interventions for any group of workers, not just in social care, but for any group of workers. We believe it's a very heavy handed approach to an issue that affects a minority across social care. So when this was being brought in, there was a, a high 80% of the workforce had already been vaccinated. So in the context of things, it was sm- such a small minority that, that hadn't yet been vaccinated. And they hadn't been vaccinated for a whole variety of reasons. And we don't believe that enough was done to educate and to understand, but also to make access to the vaccine easier. If you think a lot of our workers working in social care, they work 12-hour shifts, they are long days, and then trying to find time to go to a vaccination centre or try and access the vaccine via your GP is very difficult out of hours. And then there were also the genuine concerns about potential side effects because care workers predominantly do not get sick pay. They cannot afford to take time off work generally. And there'd not been as much information given as there were across other sectors like in the NHS a a nurse could go and get the vaccine in their workplace it wasn't as easy for care workers to be able to do that and so we believe that there was a lot more that could have been done rather than going down this route and we also did a survey of our members as I said before we're a member-led organization and the results were really quite interesting we had a 50 50 split you know 50 pro vaccine and, and, and 50 against the mandatory side of the vaccine but the overwhelming element that did come across and that was from people 
who've had the vaccine themselves was they don't believe their colleagues should have had it forced upon them. And if we bear in mind that these are the very workers that were on the front line throughout the pandemic, they were the ones that put themselves in harm's way. You know, so many care workers died of COVID and thousands and thousands contracted COVID at work as a result of COVID coming into the homes. And yet now these were the ones that were being singled out and being told that they were the risk. So it was the whole process of how it had been done. And our other concern was that this would seem to be just an issue in England. Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland hadn't had any issue in increasing their uptake in social care. So it was very much down to a system of how that message had had been put out. And again, I think another indicator of just how fragmented social care is across England and the difficulties that that brings with any sort of programme like this. Because when you've got, you know, we've got almost 18,000 private care organisations delivering care, how can you get a consistent message across to that amount of, you know, organisations and workforces? So we think... There was a whole cocktail of reasons as to why there was some people within the sector not being vaccinated and a lot more could have been done to understand the reasons and encourage people to be vaccinated. Yeah, there's a whole range of issues there that would be good to unpack and, and come back to in a moment. Now that we're three months on from the policy being introduced, what's been the effect for your members? There was, you know, GMB and amongst others were warning that this was going to lead to people leaving their posts, some resigning, some being essentially forced out of their posts. And, you know, this was, there were serious concerns that this was going to exacerbate the staff shortages that we know are endemic in the sector. What's been the impact? Um, yes, yeah, so the, the, the major one and the, the most obvious one is it's just impacted the staffing crisis as, as we predicted. I think what we didn't see as much as we expected was an, the number of dismissals as a result of failure to be vaccinated. Because what we actually saw was people choosing to leave prior to the 11th of November when this came into effect. People left social care so although it was a job that people love it is minimum wage so people were choosing to leave to go elsewhere if they wanted to continue caring they could go into the nhs they could go into local government they could go into community care or the domiciliary care sector so there were plenty of care options available and what we also saw was the other roles within care homes leaving so some of our national care providers are telling us now they are using agencies to backfill roles that they've never had to use agency staff for before. So these are your kitchen staff, your catering staff, your, you know, your cleaners, your admin, because they've moved into the gap in the market in hospitality and in retail, because those skills are easily transferable into another sector. So we saw thousands and thousands leave. We also saw a little bit of a change in the government position literally days before the legislation came in and they they brought in this three-month medical self-certification exemption so we're still seeing a few of those through to the end now but but not in any great numbers um so yeah the biggest impact was was the staff leaving what was already uh, chronically understaffed you know we were 110,000 staff vacancies prior to covid and the impacts of covid 
the exhaustion and staff burnout has, has meant a lot more people have left, not just on the vaccine issue. But the ultimate pressure that leaves is on the staff that remain. So they're still there picking up the work of their colleagues that have now gone. You know, there's traditionally a 30% turnover each year of social care staff because the pay and the terms and conditions are just so poor. Um, so those staff that are left are, are, are mentally exhausted, physically exhausted now, and very much facing things like stress and mental health issues, PTSD as a result of working through the pandemic. Um, occupancy rates within care homes are at an all-time low as a result of COVID, but also as a result of not being able to take in residents because they haven't got the staff in there to meet their needs. So ultimately, it's the service users now that are suffering as a result of this. And then staff morale is just at an all-time low. As I said before, these are the people that battled through the pandemic to keep our loved ones safe. And now they're the ones that are, they feel they are being targeted and singled out by a government. And once again, they were feeling very inferior when compared with the NHS. You know, social care is always on a, a lower foot into the NHS. You know, there were big calls for armies of volunteers to come and help in the NHS. There wasn't anything like that for social care. You know, family and friends were asked to help out if you can, but but that was it. There was no big grand gestures to, to plug the gap in social care. So it's just been exacerbated as we predicted it would. Yes, it's it's really useful to hear that because I think in some of the conversation since the policies come in, but also prior to it taking effect, the focus was very much on those care workers who may or may not get the vaccine and not always on their colleagues who have had the vaccine, people who are doing other roles and also on the service users. And what you've just described there demonstrates that this is a policy that is having a range of effects across all parts of the the care sector, you know, not in a positive way. Now, last year, prior to it coming in, I looked, I did um, a piece of research which looked at the reasons why care workers were opposed to the policy. And, and what that highlighted was very much in line with what you've said about the employment model that many care workers have. And it showed how that really can't be separated out from understanding why some care home workers were opposed to the policy. For example, it was very clear that the lack of sick pay in the sector was a real concern, as you've described, that if people were to have the vaccine, and as many people did, feel a little under the weather for a day or two, then I knew that when I had the vaccine and if I felt unwell, I could stay at home and my income wouldn't be affected. That's not the case for care home workers and looking at the consult or many care home workers and looking at the consultation responses, it's clear that those issues of their employment conditions can't really be separated out from the wider concerns about mandatory vaccination. So how does GMB think that employment conditions for your members in care should be improved? We've touched on sick pay, that's one example, but what are the changes that you would like to see? And I suppose, how do you think they relate to this issue of mandatory vaccination? 
Yeah, so you you obviously mentioned sick pay there, and 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 pay and sick pay are, are very at the top of of the agenda. Really, you know, they are minimum wage uh, employees generally. Sick pay is few and far between. Is it paid, and it should be a contractual right. If anything's been shown to us by the pandemic, it's that sick pay is the number one infection. Um, control measure you can put in place because what we have seen for for decades prior to the pandemic were social care workers going into work ill because they cannot afford to take time off work. It it, it really is as simple as that. And it was actually acknowledged by the government after some lobbying from unions and others that they had to cover sick pay. So, you know, there's been three sets of additional funding given by central government to local authorities to distribute to care providers. And a part of that was to cover sick pay so that people could follow government guidance and isolate. And it's absolutely essential that coming out of this contractual sick pay becomes a right for all social care workers. And that has to be at the top of any government agenda agenda looking to reform social care. And pay, you know, they are the lowest paid workers and they shouldn't be. They at least expect to be paid similar to their colleagues in local government or in the NHS and they're nowhere near. And for GMB, we're campaigning for a minimum of £15 an hour for the social care workforce. We think it's the least they deserve. And, you know, we will never address staffing shortages and crises without addressing those two issues. But the other stuff, it's around the professionalisation of the role. These workers do not feel valued, they do not feel respected or that the vital role that they provide is recognised. So we need to professionalise social care. And that would include national standards for training so that there's consistent application of that right across um, England with genuine career progression in place for people so that they know that there's a route to follow if they want to follow that. And we want a registration system in England like they've got in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland to make the role professional and put it on that parity with the NHS. And if people feel more uh, respected and treat as the professionals they are, that will in turn come on to things like the vaccine. They'll understand why they're being asked to take the vaccine because they'll understand, you know, that it's a part of their professional role that they're being asked to do that. Safe staffing levels is an absolute crucial one for our members. You know, current crisis to one side, it's always been an issue. And the one thing our members tell us time and time again is that they do not feel safe at work. They do not believe they are delivering the standards of care that their service users deserve. And so we have to absolutely address safe staffing levels. We'd like to see national sectoral bargaining so that there are consistent pay and excellent terms and conditions right across the sector and not this race to the bottom of poverty pay that we're seeing where all the profits are being taken out and sent onto your offshore accounts as we see some of the largest providers do. And I suppose the big, the long-term aim would be a national care service that was funded through taxation and it was all about delivering care rather than the profit. So I think that's the whole package that we need to do to to really improve social care uh, for the workers and make them feel valued and make it to be a job that people want to go into and want to stay in. That has to be our ultimate aim if we're to address the social care crisis. It's it's really interesting to hear you talk about value because that connects to the the next thing I wanted to, to ask you about, which is precisely that. And it's, you know, mandatory vaccination, I think, 
is an interesting example to look at this because it, it not only sheds some light on the way in which their care workers have often felt undervalued in terms of their pay and the and the conditions like holidays and, and sick pay that come with the job or don't come with the job but it's also kind of shone a light exactly in the way that you've described on the professional status of care workers and the value and respect that they feel so i suppose my the question i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it and the thoughts of your members is you know, do you think that the way in which the mandatory vaccination policy was introduced tells us anything about that status of care workers or perhaps about the value that the government has towards care workers and maybe even the value that society has um, places upon care workers two years ago or just under two years ago there were there was cap for carers and people stood outside on thursday evenings and there was a sense that you know there was real respect being shown to the people who were delivering care my sense is that you know that quickly moved into almost an exclusive focus on the nhs and that hasn't really materialized into significant changes around the value of the people have um, place upon care workers. So there's a broad set of issues there, but you know, what are your thoughts about that question of value? I think it absolutely does highlight the, the value uh, and perception of social care workers in the country. You, you said it there about the claps on the doorsteps, and I can tell you our, our members working in social care really appreciated being recognised by the general public at the start. But those claps soon, as you said, became a focus about the NHS and then very quickly just disappeared and then it was all forgotten and care workers continued going to work. They continued fighting for their inferior PPE. They continued being paid their, their minimum wage rates of pay and nothing changed for them. All, all they knew is that they continued working in extremely poor conditions. I think the reason government targeted care, and I'll, I'll use the word target because they were seen as an easy way of getting this in to start with. You know, this is a, a, a large fragmented workforce, predominantly women, a large number of black, Asian, minority, ethnic workers in there with huge cultural and language barriers. And they're on poverty pay rates, inferior terms and conditions not really well unionised compared to other sectors like the local government or the NHS. And I think a genuine belief that this could be pushed through very easily without very little challenge from the workers themselves. And they were right, because sadly, after decades of being trodden down, our care workers do think, what's the point in challenging? We can't win anything. And so we've got a job of work in building their esteem back up. But I think it was absolutely a sign of, of, of what they could do. And I think the sad thing is the government massively let down social care workers in the pandemic. They literally forgot about them at the start of the pandemic. They were excluded from PPE guidance. We had to fight to get them face masks. And then suddenly it was realised, oh, you've got COVID patients in residential care homes. They're going to need access to, to PPE. They were excluded from the, the, the first 
testing kits that were coming out. Social care workers weren't entitled to those, you know, and, and we all know about COVID patients being discharged from hospitals into care homes so that the hospitals could be freed up. And then we had to fight for the sick pay. They weren't getting the sick pay. So they were massively let down at the start. And I think all of that shows what the perception is about the value of care workers and how seriously we need to take them as a, as a group of workers. So I do believe that that's why the government started, you know, they were the ones that let care down. And yet it's our members that have been punished as a result of that. And, you know, this is the thanks they get for, for their efforts over the last two years. And there's still been no improvement in their pay and their terms. Which I presume has led to some of them thinking, I'm getting out. I, you know, I don't feel respected. Am I, am I right to sort of assume that? Absolutely. When you when you look at the job adverts and you've got Aldi and other supermarkets, you know, Morrison's who have £10 an hour on checkouts without the 12 hour shifts and the responsibilities that come with working in a care home. Yes, people have left. And it's it's, it's a perfect storm of all the issues. It's not just one issue. It, it's the whole lot. And so finally, then the the government now plans to extend the policy to introduce mandatory vaccination in April for healthcare workers in the NHS and for all social care workers, for example, with those who provide care to people in their own homes. Now, there's been some speculation that the policy's introduction will be paused, but at the time of recording, it's set to go ahead as planned. What's the view of your members about this? and and? Is GMB's stance the same towards that wider rollout of mandatory vaccination in, in health and social care? Yeah, we're, we're, again, we're opposed to it again. Um, we believe it's going to have serious, serious implications on the delivery of services. As I said, many of the people that left adult residential care went into domiciliary care or into the NHS, and they're once again now facing losing their jobs on the 1st of April. I think for us, our focus right now is supporting our members that are affected by this through the processes, making sure they're being treated fairly and that redeployment options are considered as a priority for all of them. Our worry is there seems to be no credible plan coming forward as to how this number of people suddenly not being available for work will be addressed. Um, and I know we share those concerns with our colleagues in social care and with our colleagues at NHS employers. And there's no credible plan coming forward. I think just the, the latest figures that we're aware of is in the NHS, we're looking at 60,000 people facing dismissal on the 1st of April. If staff uptake continues at its current pace on the 1st of April, 60,000. Hundreds of those are from the same ambulance employers. And to suddenly take that amount of workers out of one employer, and these are employers that are currently struggling to staff and meet the service needs that are currently there, um, it's too stretched as it is. And then in domiciliary care, you're looking at a dismissal of between 75,000 and 100,000 workers, and that's out of a workforce of 500,000. So a fifth of the workforce are facing dismissal in April. And again, no credible plan. And the impact there is if you've not got care being delivered to people in their homes, they have to stay in hospital. And then you've got the beds being blocked. 
So therefore, you've got the ambulance handover delays exceeding because they can't discharge their patients at, um, at hospital. The longest delay in December this year was 20 hours for an ambulance to hand over a patient at a hospital. And what, what that actually does, that causes serious harm to patients. And the estimate for December were 3,000 patients were potentially put at harm due to the delays. So it's not just about there's a vaccination issue in care. It's the massive knock-on effect it has right across health and social care. So that's why we're opposed to it. We think it should be a lot more about education and, and trying to break down those barriers and encouraging people to take the vaccine. We do have concerns about what will come in the coming weeks. Yeah, there's some extraordinarily large numbers there that you've you've talked about in terms of the potential impact on on staffing and you know what strikes me here in that is that we're being told at this kind of moment that we're in the end game of the pandemic and even some saying that the pandemic is over and it's clear that well for one with the case numbers as they are is clearly not but even if the case numbers were to drop the impact of the policy and the way in which services are going to be affected is going to be playing out for months if not years from the point of introduction so Rachel has been really really instructive to hear you know GMB's position on this and, and what your members are thinking feeling um, and the conditions that they're they're facing the work of the Centre for Care is going to have a strand, which is researching the care workforce, which I'll be involved in. And so it would be, we will return to many of these issues and it would be great to continue this conversation with you at a later date. So thank you very much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about the work of the Sustainable Care Programme or the new Centre for Care, then more information can be found on the Circle website and social media. You can also find out more about the work of GMB at gmb.org.uk. On the Circle website, you can also find the research paper um, on mandatory vaccination by myself, and we can post a link to that along with this episode. You can sign up to Circle's newsletter to keep in touch with news about our research, upcoming events and future episodes of the Care Matters podcast. Rachel, many thanks again and thank you very much for listening. <laughs>